Listeners, for Thanksgiving this week, we decided to record a mailbag episode, as is tradition in the podcast community. So if you were thinking you were getting a mini-sode with CJ, not this week, but listen in next week because we have a fantastic episode on Christian Kitsch that you do not want to miss. But here in the place of that is our mailbag mini-sode. Enjoy. Prophet, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is the pastor? So listeners, yesterday we put out uh, a request for questions and, uh, you know, it maybe was too late and also maybe we should plan for these things better, uh, but we didn't. And so what we have is uh, questions from friends of the pod, uh, Nick and Ian. So uh, we're just going to go through this list and uh, and see what happens. So Ethan, are you ready? I am ready. I am ready. Question number one from listener Ian. Why is the Polar Express the greatest Christmas movie? Why, why is the Polar Express the greatest Christmas movie? Yeah. Well, it's not. It's godless. Um, exactly. It's, <laughs> That's it's, what we're saying. It's godless. Uh, I, uh, if you spend more than five minutes with it, uh, I believe you transform into one of the characters in the Polar <laughs> Express. Like, like I think that's how, it's like the ring, right? I don't know how the ring works, but like it's it's you know you watch the movie, and when you when the movie first came out, there was nobody on the train. But but after the first watch, people got sucked into the film as characters in the Polar Express. That's how it works. And that's why nobody to this day has seen Tom Hanks. That's right. That's right. Um, that guy, you believe that, that that gentleman who had COVID a few months ago and talked to us to hold on, you thought that was Tom Hanks? That was a, 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 a simulcrum. It's a homunculus. <laughs> It's not, it's not it's not Tom Hanks at all. He's trapped in Polar Express. It's just they've got such dead eyes. Like it's all it's 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 an uncanny dangerous film. Like 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 that that deep 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 down in the uh in the spinal column, you know, like something goes off when you watch it. Like that instinct that animals have that says this intruder in my den is here to kill us and we must kill them. Like, like that, that instinct goes off when you look at them. And, and the only thing, the only thing you can think of when you look at these hateful people on Polar Express is somebody kill them with fire, <laughs> you know, like, like, cause they're, they're false people. They're not real people, not you real. know, they're they're It's, and then there's that one, there's that one hateful puke in Polar Express that has that really annoying voice. I mean, they all do. I've just described everybody, but like, but like that, you know, the Ian knows who I'm talking about, you know, like like he comes out and he starts talking. And you're like, oh, my God, why is that grown adult nerd man voice coming out of this tiny child? Like, like it's just terrible. It's just bad every I, time. I, I don't know the character's name at all, but it's oh, God, it, it's just it's just awful. It's godless. Yeah. It's it's it, it blasphemes the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Um, it's a mockery of God's creation. You know, it's it's terrible. It's just terrible. I 
Agree a hundred percent. Next question from listener Ian. You're stranded on a desert island and your only companion is either Bart or Niebuhr. Who do you pick? Niebuhr for sure. Um, at least for me. Uh, Niebuhr, uh, at, well, mm, that's interesting. Um, Bart's uh, Fragments on the Christian Life, which, which was one of the last things we read for class a couple weeks ago, um, are actually really fascinating. They've got strong letters and papers from prison vibes. Okay. Um, not, not because Bart wrote it while he was in jail awaiting execution, but, but because uh, they're really unpolished and sort of unfinished. And so, and I always thought Bonhoeffer's Letters and Papers from Prison was the most interesting thing I've read from Bonhoeffer, precisely because of that, because, because Bonhoeffer is kind of riffing, you know, and he's like, what about this, you know, and, and you, mm-hmm. you, even though it's frustrating at times to, to watch people try to create systematic theology around some of that, like, I'll, I still find it really interesting. I find, I, and, and Bart's uh, Christian uh, uh, the Christian life uh, are similar to that. I, I find them unpolished and really fascinating. And so I don't know, actually, now. I think that my first thought was you pick Niebuhr because Niebuhr at least talks about society. Mm-hmm. And so even though Niebuhr is not right a lot, like at least Niebuhr has some helpful <laughs> conversations right. about human society and human politics. Um, and I think Niebuhr's interesting, but I think that if we were going to have the, at least the Christian life, maybe I'd go with Bart. What, who yeah. would you go for? That's such a great question um, because I know nothing about the personal lives of Bart or Niebuhr other than like Bart wrote naked at a typewriter from time to time. So uh, just, just because I feel like there's a decreased chance of nudity, I would go with Niebuhr. Fair enough. I like, I don't know if either of them would be great conversational partners. I have no idea which one of them has survival skills. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I could find a place on this island that uh, is not near either one of them. So like, I feel like it's a non-issue, but I would go with Niebuhr. Just, just now, now are, is, this, is this about books they wrote or they themselves? Oh, I thought, <laughs> I thought they themselves, but I like that you went with books. Uh, well, you see, I assume that because they're dead, they're not, <laughs> they're not allowed to be with us. But I guess in this fantasy world, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, if, 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 they, if they had to be there and not their books, I'd probably pick Niebuhr because he spoke English and I do not speak German. That's, you know, that's fair. Though, though Bart could probably, uh, could definitely teach German, right? He probably knew some English, you think? Yeah, he knew some English. That's fair. I mean, that would be the best thing to do on the island, right? Is learn another language. Which is going to help us survive. <laughs> uh, we have, we have a, a listener who just called in to let us know that um, Niebuhr was pretty bony. And so in terms of uh, just survival, it would be better to be with Bart because he would be easier to barbecue. So. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Deep cannibalistic. I, that, that's another thing to consider. Uh, Our next question from uh, listener Nick. Uh, If the moon was made of spare ribs, would you eat it? Heck, I would. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'd have seconds. (laughs) I'm a vegetarian, so I would not. (laughs) But I I appreciate the idea. 
Uh, next question <laughs> from listener Ian. Imagine you're starting a new religious movement. What snacks are you going to serve? Okay. So if I was, well, if I was going to start a new religious movement, I'm trying to think of the content of this new religious movement. My answer is cheese balls. So I eat you. Oh, cheese balls are good. Cheese balls are good. <laughs> There's like I, orange ones, the Uts cheese balls. Yeah, Not yeah, like in the big, in the big, ball. in the like in the tube, you can get them in the big like bin tube thing. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. That's what it is. Because I, then I could attract all of the kids who were all the people who were like '90s, 2000s youth group kids who were like deeply right. scarred by everything that happened in '90s, 2000s youth group, and then we could band together and take over the world, probably because we have a lot of angst built up. That's fair. No, I think that's fair. I, I wouldn't hate that. I think that if I was going to start a new religious movement, um, cheese balls are a good pick. Um, pizza. I mean, pizzas, that's the best snack, right? Like, you, you know, you get anybody to come to anything if you offer them pizza. That's true. You know, that's, that's just the truth. Like, like I'd go to any, I would actually, I would that I mean that I would go to anything if it was offering free pizza. I don't have to, I don't have to buy it, you know, and I, and it's me, I buy very little, you know, like about anything ever. And so like, if, if somebody was like, Hey, come to our, come to our clan rally, you can get a hold of some of our literature, and, you know, but there'll be free pizza. Uh, I'd probably look at, I'd probably look at that flyer for a little while. Be like, well, yeah. I do like free pizza. I'm not a member of the clan. I won't be a member of the clan, but they're happy. What if they had pizza? You know, and, and there's a good chance that I might, there's not a good chance, but on the off chance that I, you know, if I go to a clan thing, I might uh, get to live in my favorite Dave Chappelle sketch of all time. <laughs> uh, the Black Klansman sketch. Have you ever seen that sketch? You've described it before. He's oh, my gosh. It's, and he's a white yes. supremacist, so he's blind. Yeah. He's blind, and, and he always wears the, the outfit, so nobody else knows he's black. <laughs> <laughs> and then he takes the, the outfit off, and they're like, oh! <laughs> and he, he divorces his wife for loving a black man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. Dave Chappelle, that guy is so brilliant sometimes. Okay. He, he really is. Um, but that'd be great. That- I'd sit and laugh. Yeah, yeah, that could be good. Um, speaking of not buying anything, I am like selling off my possessions to help pay for my move. Uh, yep. Because this is all like, this is all furniture that I got from like the Habitat Restore or that like people gave to me because they didn't want it anymore when I moved down to North Carolina. And so I'm getting rid of all of it so I can move in with Ian and there's not a ton of room at, at the current place. And Ian has all the things that we need. So I have been putting things on Facebook Marketplace and mm-hmm. I, just meeting a ton of people who are very interested in like the decorative wall clock, you know? Uh, right, right. They're like, is this still available? And I was like, well, I have somebody coming to look at it tomorrow. And they're like, well, just let me know because I want it. This is a great price for it. And I'm like, I, don't know, I might be upcharging you from what I bought it for at Walmart, but okay. Um, so. Yeah, that's been fun. That's an update from my week for those who are desperate to know. Yeah, the uh, Facebook Marketplace. We've sold things on Facebook Marketplace, uh, and and it's always interesting to look at to to watch like desperate people. Yes, you know, be on Facebook Marketplace. We had to do that. I I was one such desperate person months ago when I realized I needed more bookshelves for my books, 
And so I got on Facebook Marketplace and somebody was selling one. And I was like, hey, I could pay this. Can, can, I, can I have this? I'll pay $10 for it. And they're like, well, you know, other people are paying $10. I was like, I'll pay you $11. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> and they're like, deal, but you have to come and get it. I'm like, great, send me your address. And it was 45 minutes away. So I'm driving in the backwoods of central Virginia. Wow. You know, in my Ford Escape before we sold it. And I was like, this is this is fucking ridiculous. But I'm one of those people. I was like, are you selling the thing? And no, oh, it was bad. I've had to put it in myself. <laughs> I was like, this is this is great. Uh, one time Beth was trying to sell something and uh, the person who responded asked for feet pics. Oh, no. And and I was like, how much are they paying? Like, like <laughs> get it? You realize how little money we have. <laughs> do whatever you need to do. Oh, I um, there was a a sermon that we filmed like at, almost at the very beginning of the pandemic, where we were like doing online in addition to being a person, and it happened to be like I had taken off my shoes to preach because I do that from time to time behind the pulpit, but because of mm-hmm. where the camera was at, you could see my feet. And that sermon has more views than any of my other sermons on our church's YouTube. That's awesome. Uh, and I, I like made a joke about that at a SPRC meeting. We were talking about like technology or, or like our online presence and how effective it was. And I like made a crack about that. And all the old ladies were like, what? Wait, what? And I was like, yeah, because it's the foot thing. Ne- Never mind. I think it was just a great sermon. Anyway. <laughs> I bet it was your feet. No, I, I, I stand by that. Like feet. Yeah. That's feet weird. picks, man. People will pay anything for feet picks. Anyway, next question. I'm not saying I would. I'm just saying that some people. <laughs> that other people do. <laughs> Speaking of, of inappropriate questions, questions from uh, listener Nick. When is Ian going to propose? I can answer this one right away. <laughs> <Vito>! <laughs> The answer is whenever he wants to. But the next question is better. Is marriage even relevant anymore? Oh, my. Oh, Lord. Um, I guess it really, you're going to go with no. Yeah. I think it depends a lot on, well, it's funny. I, I think that I think that I just don't have any idea what anybody means by that sentence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like maybe it's because we've been so caught up in and in the LGBTQ marriage and full inclusion in the United Methodist Church. But like, does anybody even know what they mean when they talk about marriage anymore? You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. so it's just so wacky. I, I think that my my views on, I mean, I am married. So in general, I, it's, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm bumbling about this. Cause I, I guess I, I th- thought about this a lot, but I haven't thought about it enough to have a set of words for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, my views of marriage are similar to my views on religion. Um, so I, I practice a religion, but I don't necessarily think that that makes me a better person mm-hmm. for, because I practice a religion, you know, you know what I mean? Now, now I think that, I think that my practicing of Christianity has made me a better person. 
I do think that. And I think that, um, I think that anybody who, who's practicing the faith and, and, and is trying to follow Jesus has potential to be made into better people. You know, that's, that's central to my understanding of sanctification, right? But I don't think that I am a holier person because I am a religious person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's silly, and that's sort of how I understand marriage. Like I think that my marriage has made me into a better person. It's made me into a more um, patient person in some ways. Um, has has helped train me to care less about the immediate meeting of my wants you know, and, mm-hmm. and has helped turn me outwardly towards my wife and, and other people in general. Um, but I don't think that every marriage does that. And I don't think that all that, I don't think that marriage as an institution is necessary to become that. Yeah, I think that's really true. Um, I think that I think there is real value in making a deep and powerful commitment to another person and deciding to like live in a household with another person and um, and like make a family together and like make a home together. Like, I think I think there's a, a lot to be said for that. Um, but like. Also at the same time, like you could decide that you never really want to get into a lifelong romantic relationship. And so you just like make a really great friend who is also your roommate and you just happily like have a household together. And I think that like that could be really pure and great too. And I'm not upset about it. My thought really around marriage is that um, we have not done a lot of thinking about where our like current, like modern day idea of marriage has come from and our current like modern day ideal of of what a family and a household and a a community is and a lot of it is some hot ass white supremacist bullshit so i i i would be happy to just let marriage go at the same time like you know i don't mind a tax break so right right there, there is that. Um, but like the way that like the church talks about marriage, that's ridiculous. I hate it. I think it's terrible. Um, I would be happy to write a paper on why I think that. Who would win in a fight? This is another question from listener Ian. Who would win in a fight between Schleiermacher and Kierkegaard? Oh, um, God, you've picked two of the wimpiest. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not Kierkegaard. I'll start with that. Kierkegaard was an emo sad boy. <laughs> right. But he would be able to handle the the weight of loss a whole lot better than maybe Schleiermacher would. How, how, about, how about that? Kierkegaard, when he loses, will <laughs> will just go on to write another book about it. Like like and and that'll that'll be how that'll go. I yeah. Kierkegaard was basically a lead singer for Fallout Boy, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> That, that one goes out to fellow friend and listener of the pod, Angie, who I routinely, I routinely make fun of for her uh, love of sad emo men. Um, that's the aesthetic. That's the aesthetic that she loves. And, and every time she, she uh, like, so we watch wrestling 
uh, Angie and I watch wrestling and, and all that. And every time uh, a new wrestler, a wrestler might change their look or, or whatever. And uh, there was one recently, Cody Rhodes, who, who changed his look for a short time. And he came out with black hair and he had, you know, black pants and this vest and it was very, very emo. And she was like, man, he looks great. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah, it looks like he writes sins and not tragedies. And and then uh, Angie was like, I, I fucking hate you. Like, I hate you so much. Why do you say these things to me? And I'm like, why are you so predictable? Why, why are you just I like that man because he looks like an emo sad boy <laughs> is the answer. But yeah, Kierkegaard, I don't I don't think Kierkegaard is going to I don't think Schiermacher would fight Kierkegaard. Right. So that's that's my thing. Like I think Schleiermacher. No, I I don't. I don't think he'd fight Kierkegaard. I think Kierkegaard would be like, punch me, punch me, you know. And, and, and Schleiermacher would be like, I don't understand Dutch or you know whatever whatever language Danish. I don't whatever language he was saying, you know. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think that. But like if they had to fight, Schleiermacher would probably be Kierkegaard because there's just no way. Kierkegaard right. can't beat anybody in a fight. Like, there's just no way. Poor guy. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, staying amongst uh, people who have written books about Christianity, uh, we've discussed this before, but maybe this needs to be our, our definitive moment. Nadia Boltz-Weber, yay or nay? Um, I think that Nadia Boltz-Weber has a really great PR person right um and and I think that she uh is is probably genuine I really do if I'm being really generous with her like I would say that yeah I think this is probably not who she is is probably uh somebody who cares very deeply for people and and wants to follow Jesus and uh, uh, is, is, is probably good at it, you know, and has probably had some success as a pastor. And I think that's great. Um, I think that the, her, her PR person and, and the way she is sold is super duper boring. Mm. Um, and that's not her fault. Uh, but like, I'm, I'm mostly just over, I'm a Christian with tattoos. Like I'm over that. Right. If you, if you lived in, if you grew up around the time we did and lived in an evangelical context, not, not a fundamentalist context, but an evangelical context, um, you encountered a ton of speakers that had tattoos, you know, that, that to the point where that became a cliche. And, and I think that that's, her PR person presents her that way. And I think that's a problem. Um, or at least it's frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my second thought on her is, is that she's too Lutheran and I just don't agree. You know, it, yeah. it, it is, and that's okay. Like, that's fine. You know, I remember an even in, 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 in an evangelism class with, with Doug Poe, we watched a clip from Nadia Bowles Weber that made uh, a couple of the people in the class get real excited. They were like, wow, she's so great. And, mm, mm. and, it, and it was a Methodist evangelism class. And Doug Poe's like, well, I'm glad you like her. Uh, did anybody catch uh, her, the, the, the doctrine of sanctification she's working with? And everybody's like, no. 
And he's like, good, because it's not there. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's Doug Post, like, like, that's part of the problem. Like, like we're, you know, and, and, and he doesn't, he's not trying to like throw her under the bus. He's just trying to make that honest. Like his point was in, in the Christian world, Christian evangelism is dominated by an industry. It's dominated by an event, but by a kind of, of uh, a grouping of ways of doing Christian evangelism. And, and they're often encoded with doctrinal points and theology and theological points that uh, are not necessarily ones that Methodists agree with. And so to turn to them uncritically is not helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think Nadia Bowles Weber is, is in that machine, whether she means to be or not. And, uh, and so the machine of come as you are, we can, we can be, we can, evangelize to anybody at any time and and have them be there regardless of the kind of people they are i is is a good thing like of course like like the church is open to all people that's fine um but but i think doug poe's point bringing up with this exercise was to kind of show that being said nadia bowles weber's vision of christian life uh, might not be in line with the Methodist vision of Christian life. Right. Um, and, and so when we imagine what Methodist ev evangelism looks like, um, we have to remember that there is a vision for Christian life that, that the Methodist church can't just kind of toss out uh, when we try to bring people into our life, you know, into the church's life. And I think that that's a good point. So. Yeah, and I, I think that points to um, what has kind of been my real, a part of my real heartbreak over um, serving in a church is just finding out that like most people uh, don't want church for the same reason that I want church, right? Like mm -hmm. I want people who are trying to be more like Jesus and trying to like live more like Jesus. Like I want a concentrated community that is, that finds like life in the same way that I like find good and life-giving things in the world. Like when I say that something is good and life-giving, I want us to have like a shared understanding of what that is. Um, and, and have a shared understanding of like what holiness can be and where it can be found and all this kind of stuff. And um, I just find that a lot of churches and I don't share a lot of that. Um, and there, there are probably people within the church who like have that same longing for that same depth. Uh, and then go and find it on their own because they're not finding it in the church. Uh, and then just participate in the church as their kind of like social Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think that I, I think there's so much um, in, in Methodism that's really beautiful and powerful and, and, and important and like can shape us in good ways. And we just don't use it and, it, it, and we just don't do it in a helpful way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, to go back to the original question. So Nadia Boltzweber for me. Um, ha, like people have held her up as a like, oh, you know, like if you're looking for someone to read, that's just going to like fill up your heart, like go read Nadia Boltzweber. And I have not had that every time I've come to something she's written, I have just been like, okay, well, this was fine. 
like I, there, it hasn't been like that soul moving experience for me. Like it has been for, for other people. And so I just like, I take her leave her. I actually like muted her on Twitter. <laughs> Cause like I, it, they, it, I got that, that kind of PR vibe of like, here I'm putting out content cause I need to put out content. Mm-hmm. And, and she wasn't saying anything that like helped me and it just made me angry at her. And I was like, maybe I just don't listen to her and engage with her anymore right now. And there were like, if you want good, strong Christian women who are writing books, like there's Rachel Hold Evans, uh, rest in peace. There's Caitlin Curtis, who's doing great stuff right now. Like go read some Barbara Brown Taylor. Like she, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's great. Like there are, there are people out there, um, that that don't have the the tattoo vibe that I think you can turn to and and be right. have that have that itch scratched you know mm-hmm. and, and and you know if you're if you're super nerdy you know and, and aren't necessarily looking although I think it's worth looking at at um, the women that you've just mentioned who are writing certain kinds of Christian books but like if you're looking for a more kind of a systematic theology I I I am not the only one who thinks this. I, I think that some of, if not the only, um, brilliant systematic theologians of the 21st century in this country are women. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. Catherine um, uh, Tanner. Actually, there's three Catherines. Catherine uh, Tanner, Catherine Keller, and Catherine Saudreger <laughs> <laughs> are, three, are three women who are writing just absolutely incredible systematic theology. Uh, Catherine Sodgregor is uh, an Anglican uh, theologian at uh, Virginia Theological Seminary. And she's, she's finished her second volume of a multi-volume systematic theology, you know, that's, that I've, I'm reading parts of that, you know, she's, she's do- doing work on the Trinity that is brand new. You know, yeah. so there, so there's some, and of course you've got the whole host of womanist theologians as well. So there's all kinds of great people. You don't need Nadia Bullsweber. That's, that's, I think that's what you and I are saying is that, I mean, you could, you could read Nadia Bullsweber or, you know, you could, you could maybe engage with somebody else. <laughs> yeah. And, and I like, I, so I have recently been thinking of like, if I could do anything in this world, I want to be a writer, right? Like I would, I would love to do that. Um, and, and I think that that's like a longer road than I want to admit that it is because like I have good moments, but I'm not consistently good yet. Um, but as I think about like, if I were to get, if I were to get into writing, if I were to put a book out there, like I would just be another white woman, <laughs> you know, and like the world does not need me to write a book. Um, and so I'm trying to think about how to do that, like genuinely, uh, and honestly, and in a way that, that helps other people in our, uh, fight for equality. Um, okay. Two more questions. Okay. Uh, from listener Ian, is it better to be released before Christmas or after Christmas? Uh, you know, when I was originally uh, released before Christmas, I wanted oh. to say, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Now I understand. <laughs> now I understand. Is it as a pastor, is it better to be fired before or after Christmas? Right. Um, and really like at the time I was like, well, I want to make it through Christmas. Like I want to be responsible. I want to, I want to do the right thing by these people and set a good example. But like right now I'm doing my advent planning and like, I don't want to like, sure. 
it's it's not just that I've kind of run out of steam because I have but like Advent is the beginning of the Christian year like Advent is this time where we are preparing ourselves for um for celebrating like the story of Jesus's life and and telling this anew and like like really getting into um getting into the weeds of like what it is that we hope for and what it is that we like dream about and what it is that we long for. And the people in my church and I dream about and long for different things. And so uh, it would have been better if I had left before Thanksgiving. But what about you, Ethan? If you, if you had to leave a church, you know, get kind of edged out of a church, would you want to go before or after Christmas? Um, I wouldn't mind staying for Christmas. I wouldn't mind it. I am. do, I mean, we all do a ton of work during that season, but it, but it's not near the amount of, of work we do during Easter. That's true. Um, and and by and large, the Christmas stuff is is pretty is relatively feel good, mm-hmm. um, in a way that the Easter stuff is not. I yeah, I wouldn't mind staying. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind staying through through till Christmas and let letting the 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 Christmas Eve sermon be the be the last hurrah, you know, and, and say whatever you want kind of a thing. Speaking of that, have you, have you figured out what you're going, what truth bombs you're going to lay for your last sermon? Uh, my therapist was like, Hey, what type of closure do you need? And I'm like, I don't need any closure. I'm fine. Uh, but I was wrong. I need, and then I, then I ripped her head off with my bare hands. <laughs> Cause I'm so patient and kind. I'm so uh. good. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, so I am still, I'm still wrestling with what I, what I want to leave them with. Um, Because like they, they didn't, it, it also depends on who replaces me and, and my DS thinks she's found somebody. Um, And so I, I really kind of want to lay the groundwork for the next person to be successful where I was not successful. Like Mm -hmm. I want the work that I wanted to do. I want it to, um, to sprout under the next person. And so I don't kind of want to leave, leave them with a bad taste in their mouths. Um, because I am concerned about the future of this church. God knows why. Um, but so what I really want to express is that like the world is changing around you. Like the, the crisis moment that you're going through now is not going to be the last crisis moment. And like, you are going to need to dig deep if it, and make changes. Like this church is going to look different if it's going to survive. And so like square that however you want to in your brain, but like, uh, get, like me not being here anymore doesn't relieve the pressure any, it just changes how you interact with the changing world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's a way to say that very, uh, straightforwardly that's also going to scare the shit out of them sure uh, but they should be like that's just what it is like if you were not willing to um in in a time of almost unprecedented racial awareness and awareness of the need for racial justice if you're not willing to stand up and say black lives matter as a congregation then like you are in for a rough awakening like if you as a congregation are not willing to stand up and say that like 
LGBTQ people are beloved by God and are called by God, then like you're in a rough away in for a rough awakening in, you know, 10 years or whenever it is that culture fully gets itself together. Like there, there are so many big important issues that like don't cost them anything really, really don't cost them anything to affirm um, and cost them everything to pass by. And they don't, they don't understand that equation fully. And, mm. um, and I want to just be another voice that says that like, you got to deal with this. On the other side of that, I'm also helping the district plan a Black Lives Matter service at Lake Chinaluska hmm. that I'm going to invite the church to watch on the internet. Um, so like, they're going to have to suck it up and deal with it because like the district superintendent herself asked me to help out with this. Uh, and it's and it's sponsored by the district and is like a thing we're doing. So um like regardless of regardless of where they think I stand in all this, like I bet that a core amount of the people in the church who did not stand up to the person who yelled at me, but like who in their hearts think that I'm right, will probably watch that service and I hope be galvanized in a certain way. It's also the last time they're ever going to receive communion with me because I am not doing it on uh, the first Sunday in December and I'm not doing it over Christmas. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's, I think that's where <laughs> Uh, so last question. Are you ready after that? I agree. I, I have been ranty these episodes, but that's where we're at. Uh, this is, I think this is a crucial and deeply important question. So are you ready to consider it with the fullness of your mind? I'm ready. What is your favorite condiment? Creamy Italian dressing from Pizza Hut. Ooh, I was going to go with a nice spicy mustard. Oh, that's a very good one as well. Spicy mustard uh, uh, is also quite good. But uh, creamy Italian dressing for Pizza Hut is is easily the best. I mourn, I outright mourn the, the closure of many sit-down Pizza Huts. Um, what a real loss. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it. I, it sounds funny. It's just I couldn't not laugh. What a real loss. Like, like Ah, oh, God, sit down pizza. That's the best. Uh, if I got if I got specific assurance from the Pizza Hut company that by closing many, if not all sit down pizza huts does not mean the end of the Pizza Hut creamy Italian dressing. I would not mourn it as much, but I'm nervous because <laughs> that's easily the best condiment on planet Earth. Um, uh, have not had one better. I buy that. I buy that. We used to, um, in marching band after Friday night games in high school, we used to go to the Pizza Hut right before it closed and like just get things from the buffet and sit down and eat and hang out like the wholesome band kids that we were. Uh, And that's really other than like the personal pan pizzas you could get for reading a lot when we were kids. That's my only fond memories of Pizza Hut. (laughs) Gosh, uh, but I understand. Like, I mean, it's, they're all very bad you know, in many ways, like, but, oh gosh, they used to have salad bars, not almost none of them have salad bars anymore. Definitely not during COVID, but almost none of them have salad bars. And they're just, they were just the best, man. Oh, I miss them. It's a real loss. It really is. And Pizza Hut's wing game has been set up a little bit. Like, like the wings are really not that bad. I know you're a a vegetarian, but, but uh, the wings are, are really okay. Like, like they're, 
they're they're not anything to you know kind of throw away I, th- I think they're tasty and you get the wings with the creamy italian dressing ha you can't <laughs> you can't stop it now does it make me sick now now that i'm almost 30 yes but uh <laughs> but but it doesn't stop it i mean my whole body is falling apart now that i'm almost 30 that's fair. I uh, see that we have a, a blinking line here at the radio station. Uh, listener, you're on the air. What's your name? Uh, yes, this is Ian. Uh, and Ian, what, what would you like to say in, the, in this call-in portion at the end of our show? Yeah, one, uh, wings from Pizza Hut are trash. False. <laughs> but, but two, Pizza Hut is a magical place. Well, really we, we thank you for your opinion, sir. Do you, do you have anything else to add? This has been another mini show <laughs> of What the Hell is a Pastor. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> ha- happy Thanksgiving. I'm okay with that ending. That's a good one. Okay, a good one. we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs>